0: I'm working. I gained God knows how much weight because I was just stressed. And I called one of the partners who I'm very good friends with. And I was like, I need to get out of this job. And she's very supportive and very wise. And she said to me, she was like, if you want to go, I'll support you. I'll write recommendations. I'll introduce you to people. Whatever you need, I got you. She was like, but you need to know, Tala, that a lot of the pain and stress you're feeling is you. It's not McKinsey. It's you. And I was a bit like, hey, <laughs> That was not why I called, you know, and she's like, it's you. You don't have boundaries, right? So if I tell you I want to call at 7 a.m., you'll do it. If I tell you I want to call at midnight, you'll do it. You have no boundaries.
1: Hey, everyone, this is Ashley Menzies Babatunde, your host and resident storyteller, and welcome to another episode of No Straight Path, The Highs, The Lows, and The Lessons Learned. No Straight Path is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. We are digging into the human stories behind success. And my hope as always is that you leave this conversation inspired, motivated, and excited about your journey. Today, we are continuing our conversation with Tola Sumano Balagun, the incredible storyteller, podcast host of Return to Self, and partner at McKinsey & Company, in part two of our conversation, we talk about Tola's journey to partnership and how she had to do a lot of personal growth to remain true to herself as she navigated a really high-pressure career. Another beautifully honest talk, and I just can't wait for y'all to hear this conversation, so let's get to it. I do want to get to just some things about your career because you did mention that you did not like, or you hated consulting. hated did not want to go back, decided to go back. You said you grew to like it. Can you mm. tell us a little bit about that journey? Because perhaps there's someone who was in your position a couple of years ago. They're in consulting mm-hmm. and they're struggling with that. You know, Tell us a little bit more about that journey.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Let's take it back to Stanford. Like I said, excellence was a value, right? And coming out of Stanford, I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I know that whatever I wanted to do, it had to be prestigious. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know, I went for like, I don't know, it's probably some career talk. I don't remember. And it was about consulting and someone said, McKinsey is the best consulting firm in the world. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go work there. That was it. There was no, (laughs) there wasn't really much thought process. It was like, okay. And so I applied for me because at the time they had a test that you had to take. So I applied, I did the test and I failed the test. And I was like, I failed. <laughs> like how, how is this possible? And I think at the time I applied for BCG and Bain, et cetera. And I didn't get into any of like the big three as they call them, but I did get into another consulting firm, which was a offshoot of one of the big three, but focused on nonprofit consulting. And so I went there, and I say that story for the following reason. I think when I got there, part of the reason I didn't enjoy it was also me. At the time, I think that I was very egotistical and felt that if I wasn't at the best, it was a problem. So I, I also went in with a bit of a, is the right term, like a chip on my shoulder.
1: Chip, yeah. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. I chip went in, in a different way. kind yeah, of. Yeah, like. <laughs> exactly. I went in with a
0: bit of that. To be fair, I think I just went in with a bit of arrogance, to be honest. So some of it was me, but the other thing was, and I do say this for anyone who's in any career, because I, for a long time, I didn't realize that this was happening. I didn't like the culture of the organization I was in. And it wasn't a bad culture. It just wasn't a culture that suited me. And so I conflated. I remember later on when I was in business school and I was telling my coach that I didn't like consulting, et cetera, et cetera. But the more he talked to me, he was like, I'm really surprised that you wouldn't like consulting because everything you say that you like to do really does lead towards a consulting path. And he said, did you ever stop to think that maybe you didn't like the company versus you didn't like consulting as a career? And I thought, yeah, Mm. because for me, the culture of that company, I describe it very much like a frat house. So it was very much like work hard, play hard. And if you didn't play hard, people noticed. And then that's just like, I can't go the bar every night like I don't want to you know like I just you know and I remember when we did our training I've done a lot of work trainings now and that training was the hardest I've ever had to do because we woke up at seven we did the like modules you built the models you built the PowerPoint and then you would have to do like homework or coursework That usually took you to like midnight and then you would like go out and party and then you would go to bed at four and wake up at seven. And I did that like for two nights and I tapped out. I was like, I can't live this way. (laughs) This is not how I live my life. (laughs) And so I just think parts of the culture just weren't me. But it left me quite scarred, to be honest. Because of all of that, my arrogance, not really fitting into the culture. Consulting is also a very people-oriented business. Mm -hmm. I also wasn't doing well at the company there would be days I literally just would not want to get out of bed. And so even at that age, I told myself, and I I will never do a job that I hate because why, right? Like it's why, you know? (laughs) As we said earlier, I view the world very much as my oyster. I don't see boundaries and borders. So why would I ever do something that I hated? It didn't make sense then and still doesn't make sense to me now. So at the time I left and I moved back to Nigeria because I was also very into agriculture. I don't know if you know this, but the whole time we were in Stanford, I was running a nonprofit. So I was running a nonprofit in Nigeria. Yeah. And it was very like agricultural focused. And so I was like, I didn't want to do the nonprofit full time for many reasons, but I was like, let me still get into the agricultural space. So I moved back, worked for a lovely startup. I was the fourth employee. It was great. Like we literally built this thing from scratch. And at the time, when we had financed farmers on 100 hectares, we were like, this is fantastic. And I just literally yesterday ran into my former boss at a restaurant, and they've done 65,000 hectares, right? So it just was, it was a great time, great two years of my life. I did that, and then I went to business school, and I get to business school, and everyone, I mean... Well, I guess in law school, you all know you're going to be lawyers, but at business school, I was just shocked that everyone knew what they wanted to do. Like people knew that they wanted to go into banking or consumer goods, or they wanted to go into tech, or they wanted to start their own company. And I was just like, I'm in, again, excellence. I'm in business school because I know that like part of being a good professional is going to a good business school. So that is why I'm here. <laughs> like, there was no, <laughs> There's no other thought process. No, <laughs> like in my mind, it was like, wow, like you guys are really here to like, launch careers like i'm here really i am here to have this on my resume like that was my mind set at 24 i then very quickly realized that business school is very much about finding a job (laughs) and very much about switching careers if you've already had a career that you don't want to be in so we get to campus i think in july or something and then by september people are already recruiting And in all of this, i had gotten married when I I moved back to Nigeria. So when I was at business school, I was already married. And so I knew that I didn't want to stay in America. So I knew that I wanted to go back to Nigeria. So that part I knew. But I had no idea what I wanted to do. So all these people recruiting. I was in Cuba having a good time. I was living a very different business school experience. And then January rolls around. And I'm like, Tala, you really need to start recruiting because... People get offers in March and then you intern over the summer. So at the time, the firm I'm at now had reached out to me and I had said I wasn't interested because I just, like I said, I I was a bit turned off from the consulting thing. But then I thought, oh man, I need to get a job in Nigeria (laughs) and I need to get a job ideally with an international company just so I don't have to deal with some of the challenges of working for local companies. So I thought, fuck it. (laughs) <laughs> literally I thought fuck it I'll do it I'll apply and so I ended up applying to McKinsey and I applied to McKinsey I applied to the World Bank I applied to Dahlberg and I also applied just randomly to LVMH in New York I'm like maybe a career in luxury could be interesting so I got offers from McKinsey World Bank and Dahlberg and I did two internships that summer I did McKinsey and I did the World Bank all in Nigeria or an offshoot of the World Bank I did the IFC. And that was an agricultural-focused role. So I was like, okay. let me try this McKinsey thing, but also let me see if I want to continue in agriculture. And my, and my former company had also given me an offer to come back. So I was like, okay, I have options. So over summer, I did McKinsey. I did the World Bank. Both were good and challenging in their own different ways. And ultimately, I decided to do McKinsey, mainly because I felt that it was hard but I was learning. And also again, in my mindset, you have to go back to who I was at 26. I'm not necessarily that person now. It was also like that message at Stanford, McKinsey's best yes. consulting firm in the world, still very yeah. clear in my mind. So I'm like, okay, you know, another tick. I've done Stanford. I've done Wharton. Let's do McKinsey, right? Let's keep striving. Let's keep being excellent. Mm-hmm. So I did McKinsey and I joined full-time in October. And I was like, man, this stuff is hard. <laughs> <It's> hard. <laughs> But two things. When I found out that my mother was sick, I was actually in a meeting at work. Someone, my sister called me and she was like, you need to come to the hospital, etc." And I went to work the next day, maybe two days later. And I saw my manager and she looked at me and she said, you're not okay. And I burst into tears. And she like <laughs> put her arm around me, moved me into a different room. And uh, thinking about it actually makes me so emotional. She was so humane. She mm-hmm. was like, what is wrong? I told her what was wrong and I was like, I just feel that I need to be with my mom. And she said, say no more, hand over your work stream, get on a plane, go. And I don't know many companies that do that, to be honest. Like there was just no question. She was like, leave. Mm -hmm. We will figure it out. We will get the job done. And so I did and I left. And I left for six months. (laughs) My mom was alive for 10 weeks between when she got her diagnosis, and when she passed away. And then after that, I had to grieve and also take care of business. I I went and I ran her school or co-ran her school for a little bit with one of my sisters. And so I left for six months and I came back and like, it was like nothing had changed. It was still a very open, welcoming community. I came back and I started my job and people asked me if I was okay. And there was just, there was a sense of humanity Mm -hmm. that I Mm -hmm. saw in these people that for me was very striking. And I thought, okay, these are good people. <laughs> then, like these are good people. Like I can stick around. Like these are good people. And then I was also very good at my job. So as an associate, I joined as an associate and I became a manager. I started playing the role of manager within a year and I became a manager within 18 months or something like that. And usually it's like two years, two and a half years okay, to make manager. So I was good you know, and that was, and again, remember who I was at 26, 27, like that was all I needed. I just needed to be excellent. Right. So I was like, I'm excellent. And the people here are cool. Like they have real hearts and they're also fun. Like I would party, like I still party and like hang out and, and stuff with, with my coworkers and not in a forced way that some people have to do with coworkers. Like these are genuinely my friends. Right. So it was like, okay, this is cool. I could, I could do this. And then I became a manager. And I realized that being a manager and being an associate are two very different things. (laughs) And I was not a great manager. I started to not be excellent. And that was really hard. And that was when I had sort of this come to Jesus moment where I was like, I need to be able to really separate who I am from like external accolades, because this was showing me that external accolades can come and go, but I need to remain centered and anchored And be who I am, regardless of all that stuff happening around me. Mm. So I'll be the first to tell you, as a manager, I was not a great manager. I used to micromanage. I used to get frustrated with my teams. I did not manage up well. So like the first six months of being a manager, not good. And there were moments I thought of leaving. And I remember like one time I really was, I think it was during COVID, especially cause now it's locked down and all the good things of consulting are gone, right? Like I'm no longer traveling. I mean, I used to have projects in Mauritius, Ghana, London, like all of that stops. Right? Yeah, so I'm like stuck perks. in, yeah, all the perks. So I'm like stuck at home and I'm just working as we all were. I think during the pandemic, everyone just worked really hard. So I'm working, I gained like God knows how much weight cause I was just stressed. And I called one of the partners who I'm very good friends with. And I was like, I need to get out of this job. Like, this is not working for me. And she's very supportive and very wise. And she said to me, she was like, if you want to go, I'll support you. I'll write recommendations. I'll introduce you to people. Like, whatever you need, I got you. She was like, but you need to know, Tala, that a lot of the pain and stress you're feeling is you. It's not McKinsey. It's you. And I was a bit like, hey... <laughs> That was not why I called, you know? And she's like, it's you. You don't have boundaries, right? So if I tell you I want to call at 7 a.m., you'll do it. If I tell you I want to call at midnight, you'll do it. You have no boundaries. And she's like, and you will go to another job. And it won't be as stressful as McKinsey all the time, but it will have stressful moments. And you will feel the same way. And you'll be like, crap, I left McKinsey to come here and I'm still feeling this. And that really stuck with me because I thought, yeah, if I went to another job, because McKinsey has a lot of perks, like I said, great travel. I really like the people. I do have a bit of, especially Mm -hmm. as you get more senior, you get a bit more autonomy, more flexibility. I like that it's project-based. So when a project is done, I literally can take real leave, (laughs) you know what I mean? Until the next project comes on, lots of perks. And I just thought, oh my gosh, if I go somewhere else without those perks and I still feel the same way, I'll feel really terrible. So around being a manager from like, I think I've been a manager at this point for like seven months, seven, eight months, I made a really conscious decision to figure my shit out. <laughs> so I started to set mm. boundaries. That was the first thing. I was like, I don't work on weekends. I don't work between certain hours in the evening. I don't take calls before certain times, etc. I didn't always succeed. And I still don't always succeed. But I have the boundaries. And when I work with people, I tell them the boundaries. When I start with teams, I say I don't work weekends. And I don't expect you to work weekends. So if you send me something to review on like Friday night, you're not gonna get a response from me. Right. <laughs> because I'm not gonna work weekends, right? I now currently don't take calls before 9 a.m., etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But again, I don't get it right all the time. But I got it right mm-hmm. enough times to know that I could do this job in a sustainable way for the most part. I also started to figure out how to better manage teams, right? And a big part of that was getting an executive coach. And she worked with me on a lot of this stuff, right? How do I manage my own time? How do I find enthusiasm in the work that I do? How do I make sure that I'm being the person that I want to be in this job? So I did that as a manager. And then it was time to get promoted to a junior partner. And then I came up with this, again, this moment of like, man, this is really hard, right? (laughs) Like, this is now a new thing that is being asked of me. And this is really hard because now I had to manage multiple teams. And I also had to start to demonstrate client development and I had to demonstrate expertise. And so all these things were happening. And again, my coach was like really helpful and we worked through a lot of the challenges that I was having. And in the six months between trying to go from engagement manager to associate partner or junior partner, I learned so much about myself that by the time the decision was going to be made, I said to my husband the night before, because he was nervous and I wasn't nervous. And I think he thought I was bluffing. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, I said, in these six months, I've learned so much about myself That honestly, I could leave McKinsey today and I would feel that I have really accomplished so much professionally, accomplished so much personally, that I want to make junior partner, but I don't need to make junior partner. And he looked at me like, yeah, 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 right. (laughs) But I meant it. And I still mean it. I still mean it. I got to a point where my identity is not tied to being A McKinsey employee. My identity is not tied to being a junior partner. My identity is not tied to being a partner. My identity is not tied to being a consultant, right? I am who I am and these things are like layers on top. And that is why I'm still here because if I hadn't come to this realization, one of two things would have happened. I would still be here, but I would be lost. I would still be here and I would be arrogant. I would feel deeply insecure, but be projecting that I wasn't, I would be deeply anxious and afraid all the time that this title and this prestige and blah, blah, blah could be taken away and I wouldn't be free. Mm. So that is one way this could have played out. And the other way that this could have played out would have been that the pressure would have gotten so much that I would have quit. And both of those scenarios don't align with my values, right? I don't want to be somewhere and be quote unquote successful, but I can't recognize myself in the mirror. And I also don't want to ever feel that I quit something because it was too hard. And so where I am now is I'm constantly trying to make sure that in this work, I am doing it with enthusiasm. I am doing the things in the job that give me energy. And a lot of things in this world give me energy. I really like clients. Like to to a lot of my clients, I'm their therapist, right? I like client services. I like coaching. I like learning. So I like writing papers. And the moments when the work starts to feel stressful and I start to feel drained and I start to feel anxious and I start to feel stressed, it's usually because I have swayed a little bit. I haven't been doing things that bring enthusiasm for a long time. And I try and bring myself back to those things, right? And so essentially, that's my journey. And that's why I'm still here because I figured out the things that give me enthusiasm and I do them as much as I can. Don't always get it right. Don't get me wrong. Some days it's still like, oh, why am I here? (laughs) But for the most part, I just think that this firm has been such a good classroom in teaching me about who I am. I think so much of my Personal evolution has been accelerated because I am in this pressure cooker <laughs> that is mm-hmm. management consulting and that is management consulting at a top firm, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that's why I'm still here. That's my career journey. I don't remember the original mm-hmm. question you asked me, by the way. I hope <laughs> I answered it.
1: But- you did. No. That was extremely beautiful and wonderful. And you've said it that you know who you are. Yeah. Now, can you tell us, can you describe who you are to the audience, to the listeners? I'm so curious.
0: Hmm. Who am I? You know, that's how I open my podcast. Who am I really?
1: I know you do. I'm
0: <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> who am I really? I think I'm someone who is authentic, or at least I try to be. I think what you see is what you get. I am someone who, I still do strive for excellence. I just don't define myself by it, but it it is still a value, it's still there. I am someone who increasingly, I don't get it right all the time, but increasingly more and more, I think of myself as someone who's centered. And I do think of myself as someone who's bold. Now, there's also another part of me that is none of these things. And it's funny, I was just talking to my coach about it because this other part of me has been showing up more than I would like. I want to name her actually, because I really genuinely feel that it's another version of me. Mm. There is another part of me that is not confident, that is fearful, that is anxious, that is silent, that's doubtful. There's a part of me that feels like an imposter sometimes. And that Tala, I think has always been there. But in the recent months, she's been getting more airtime than I would like. (laughs) (laughs) So she has been showing up at work in ways that make me uncomfortable, in ways that make me feel out of sorts with who I really am. I don't know why, right? I don't know if it's because right now in work, I'm doing some, I, I am stretched at work. Like I'm doing things that are a bit outside of my comfort zone. So maybe there's some of that going on. I am working towards a promotion. It might not be this year, maybe next year, but I I am working towards a promotion. I also just took six months off to have a baby. So maybe part of it is like, I'm sort of relearning the ropes. But I would be lying if I said that that person is not a part of who I am. And what I'm trying to figure out now is how to... I was going to say how to shut her down. <laughs> but but what I'm actually trying to figure out is how to get to know her and to be kind to her and to understand her and figure out how to heal her because there's something going on there that I haven't mm-hmm. spent enough time with, but I know myself enough to know that when I am impatient, when I am hesitant to express my perspective, when I am hesitant to be authentic, when I am acting in fear, I know myself enough to know that when I'm doing those things, that's not who I am. Mm -hmm. That is a version of me that is dealing with some things (laughs) and is showing up and showing out. And ultimately, you know, I think I have to embrace her. And heal her, like I said, and get her to leave me alone. <laughs> and then I, can be,
1: <laughs> I can be, we and have then I can to say be, goodbye.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we need to we need to part ways. We need to have an amicable breakup. <laughs> but she's there, and she was showing out yesterday. I had a work thing yesterday, and I didn't feel that I really brought my true self to that meeting. And I was actually in a lot of shame after. The word I actually use is when that version of me comes out, I feel that I betray myself, like my actual self, because this new Tala isn't who I really am. So when she shows up and I return to who I am, I feel Mm -hmm. like a sense of betrayal. Like, damn, I, I betrayed myself. And with that comes a lot of shame and loathing and just kind of like, you know what I mean? Just I'm just really, really, really hard on myself. I was going through that last night and early this morning. And, you know, I had to really talk to myself. I, I was listening to one of Jay Shetty's podcasts and, and I was like, I got to really like listen to what this man is saying before I lose my mind. <laughs> and I just reminded myself that, you know, everything is here to teach me something. These are all experiences that are designed to make me a better person. All experiences designed to get me to know myself and they're all not permanent, right? Like impermanence is real. And so I've been trying to really just process that, but it is hard. She has been showing up more often than I would like, but we'll we'll see. Maybe we'll do a part two of this. I'll let you. I'll let you know if she's taking over. Listen,
1: exactly, exactly. I have to come back on and tell us how you managed her if you had that amicable split. Mm-hmm. And I am just curious about your purpose when it comes to the work you want to do, the life you want to live. You know, you mentioned your mom living a very purpose-driven life, and I'm just curious about yours. Ashley
0: Ashley Ashley. You know, this is a interesting no it's a, it's a really interesting question because I've been asking myself too. <laughs> what Listen. is my purpose? So again, I'll take you back to when I was going from manager to associate partner. One of the things my coach and I worked on that I really dealt with was okay, my motivating force for most of my life has been fear of failure. I want to succeed because I don't want to fail because failure just seems like the worst thing that could happen in the entire world. Oh my goodness. And so again, the degrees, the work, all of that was very much fueled by fear of failure and it worked. I'm not going to sit on this podcast and say, Oh, it was terrible going to Stanford and Wharton and working at top companies. Like no, but the anxiety of it was not fun Especially school, honestly, was never really that hard for me. So I think that's why like fear of failure could continue to propel me in a way that was sustainable, but work was hard, right? So fear of failure really became very much pronounced. And so anyway, when we had this discussion with my coach and I was like, yeah, you know, I think I've really worked through this and I am no longer afraid to fail, right? Like I I said, I want this stuff, but I don't need it. And she said, okay, that's fantastic. And she said, so what motivates you now? What is your why now? And I looked yeah. at her and I said, I don't know. And that was, was I pregnant then? I think that was maybe two years ago now or a year and a half ago. And so now that I've actually come back to work, cause I came off of maternity leave in January, I've been asking myself this question, like what is your purpose? And are you currently living in your purpose? Cause now you're living in, a world where you, you do feel more free. You don't feel as driven by fear. You don't feel as driven by anxiety. You are being more of your authentic, vulnerable self. So that's great. Fantastic. Kudos. Pat on the back. But what is all that for? Right? Like, What is the purpose? What are you meant to achieve in this world? What are you supposed to do with this one messy life that you have for which you don't know when your last day will be? Why are you here? And I could make up an answer for you and your listeners. But the honest truth is, I don't know. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure it out. I think that there is a part of me, I'll tell you the things that I'm curious about. I listened to this fantastic podcast where a lady, I don't remember her name, but she gave a talk on purpose. And she said someone came up to her afterwards and said, gee, thanks. You just made me really hate my life. And she said, why? And yeah. the woman said, because I don't know what my purpose is. And you made it seem like if you don't know your purpose, then like, you know.
1: Yes. yes. You know you're the, talking I, about I, Elizabeth Gilbert. Was it? Okay. That's maybe you talking Elis- about. Yeah. It was Elizabeth Gilbert podcast. It was on Super Soul. Son- Sunday, yeah, Sunday with Oprah. Oprah.
0: There you go. Yes, we
1: love Oprah. And Oprah interviewed Elizabeth Gilbert. Elizabeth Gilbert. You know, she is an excellent author. Who I I love her so much. Exactly. Yes. So I know what you're talking about.
0: Yes. And she said (laughs) that after that, she started to not only talk about purpose, but also talk about curiosities, like- Follow your curiosities because some people are are like my mom who from the age of nine knew that they wanted to teach and they wanted to teach in a big way and they wanted to own their own school and like educate all these people. Fantastic. I don't know what my purpose is, but I'm curious about a number of things and I'm trying to follow those curiosities. So recently I've become, well, maybe unsurprisingly, I'm very interested in storytelling, but I've recently become quite curious about storytelling through film. And so I also feel like when you say these things and you're open about these things, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, will place interesting opportunities in front of you. So last week, I actually met an executive producer. I was at an event and I was talking to someone and it turns out he makes some reality TV shows in Nigeria, a lot of very successful shows, like game shows. And so I said, can I come to your studio? And he said, sure. And so last Saturday, I was touring a studio and understanding what it is that an executive producer does. I mentioned it in passing and one of my friends told me he has a friend who makes documentaries. And so he introduced me to her and I'll try and meet up with her next time I'm in the States. So I don't know. I'm not stressed out that I don't know. But what I am doing right now is following my curiosities and seeing where that leads me. And maybe the last thing I'll say on this, like I said, I I do listen to my body. I think my body Is a very good gauge of when I'm like in check and when I'm not. And I do feel that what I'm doing now is where I'm supposed to be. And Mm -hmm. I trust my body enough and myself enough to know that when I feel that I do not, I no longer need to be here, I will no longer be here. And so I'm enjoying where I am now. I'm following my curiosities. I'm continuing to learn more about myself. I feel very convicted that in the process of this very fast paced and high pressure professional career, I am unpacking things about me that ultimately will make me a better professional, a better leader, a better person that will serve me in an important way for whatever I choose to do next.
1: I love that so much. So this has just been such an inspiring heartfelt, thoughtful, honest, raw conversation, Tola. So I just want to let you know that I sincerely appreciate you. I appreciate you sharing your story. If you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with the audience, please do.
0: This has been, I think, really helpful for me. (laughs) So thank you. (laughs) Like I said, this other version of myself has been showing up recently. So it's nice to actually talk about her. <laughs> and also just um it's it's been quite cathartic actually reminiscing about my mom and and all these things. So first of all, thank you. Final thoughts from me are for anyone listening, I think the most important thing that we can all do as we try and figure out these messy lives that we live is really to be kind to ourselves and it's something that I'm learning every day like I said Excellence and striving is such a strong value in my mind and anything short of excellent is a source of a lot of pain for me. And I'm trying to really not lie to myself, but be kind to myself and give myself grace. And so if there's anything that I hope people take away from this, it's that you have permission to do that. And frankly, Life is just too short to be mean to ourselves. Sometimes I ask myself, when I'm laying on my deathbed, hopefully I live a very long life. When I'm laying on my deathbed, all the times that I've been so mean to myself, they won't even matter. Like, why, you know, it's like, why did I spend time berating my own self when there was so much life to live? And so I try and keep that in perspective. And this conversation, I think, has also helped me remember that. And I'm feeling very energized by it. So thank
1: you. Thank you very much. Thank you. No, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. Remember to share the podcast with friends and family. And my hope is that these stories help you navigate your No Straight Path journey. If this content is adding value to your life, and I hope it is, please take a few minutes out of your day to rate the show and write a review. You can click the link in the show notes to write a review. It helps other listeners find the show, and I just really appreciate it. Have a lovely week, embrace the journey, and remember, you're not alone.